Welcome to The Deal with Yield, your podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. I'm Joel Whipperfirth, Digital Transformation Lead for Winfield United. And I'm John Zook, Agronomist for Winfield United. So, Joel, what steps can farmers take to prepare themselves for harvest? Well, John, it's been a long summer. And there's some early things right now that before I get to harvest are kind of hanging me up. Things like, should I make that second application of aphid protection out there? Did they come back? Spider mite flare-ups have kind of been coming through. And of course, I rent some ground and there's a few weed escapes that I have out there. And so I'm just, I don't know if I'm ready for harvest yet until I tackle some of those issues. Your weed escapes are only on your rented ground? (laughs) From what I've learned from you, those seeds that are out there, those weeds that are out there, within 10 days of pollination or within 10 days of seeing a flower, those weeds already have seeds. So it sounds like I need to put those in the bank for next year. Yep. Or if you're walking the field, just make sure you got a hay rack behind you that you can throw them on and cart them off the field and make sure you burn them at the end. (laughs) I don't have a burn pile of weeds at the end of my field yet. I was Maybe I'll have to consult you. Would you come out and hoe beans with me? I could bring the can of diesel fuel if you wanted. Good. That's nice of you. So I think, you know, at this time of year, we're starting to determine harvest order. And this is the point where you go, well, don't you just harvest in the same order that you planted and just go about it that way? And I, I think this is a, another farm management tip that oftentimes people harvest in an order that's convenient or nearest a bin site. But this is a great time of year to pick up 5, 10, 15 bushels by managing the crop and knowing which fields are drying down first and which fields are going to be standing when you harvest. Yeah, so let's paint the picture. We had a really, really wide planting window. Some acres maybe not being planted till significantly late. And who knows with the way planting went, if we really followed our planting plan based on maturities and when they went out the door. Kind of was just like, hey, I'm at this field, I got this maturity, it's going to get planted. So we have a lot of those things that we have to go back to our original farm plan and I think first assess, hey, where are our maturities at? And now and how do we go back and say, here's what happened through the rest of the season, standability-wise, this is what we should be looking at. When you said, uh, you know, my farm plan kind of fell apart, I wound up putting the outside of the field in a later day maturity. So maybe you can't even see what's going on in the inside of the field. John, I hate to say it, this is a great place for digital and ag tech to come to the rescue. We're utilizing daily satellite imagery that's got a low resolution to it. And we actually benchmark those fields versus its surrounding fields and see which fields are trending up or getting greener and which fields are trending down or senescing. And this is the time of year where imagery, you know, if the field is trending down, the field tends to be drying down. And so from a harvest management tip, number one, I would say using a digital tool like field monitoring tool to track which fields are drying down first to go out and scout. So Joel, imagine that that was actually your job is to talk about digital technology, right? And totally trump all agronomics and go, hey, you should be using this tool. And you know what? For once, I I agree with you. Yeah. I I think the best way to do this pre-harvest scout plan, as I like to call, is you should be using field monitoring tool to go through and say, here's where my field ranks out. Is it trending up? Is it trending down? And now let's go and verify and scout. Why is it trending down? Is it because it's drying down? Is it still standing? I mean, my biggest thing when I go out pre-harvest is I want to know assess standability. I call it the big kid test or the elbow test, right? Stick your elbows out, walk through the crop and see how many that you can 
pushed down. Some of the less aggressive guys just touch tassel to tassel, right, and see if the stocks will snap. But that's such a big indicator for standability. I think the biggest loss can be found in standability just because of late season rains or winds that will get can knock that down and make harvest such a problem. So I'm not so much concerned necessarily about moisture, although that is a factor as I am standability originally. Yeah, and certainly, you know, this is one of those times where having the access to information of what was planted there, you can take the as-applied data and understand what hybrid was planted there, which probably gives an agronomist, tells me, you know, this hybrid is really weak on a particular disease that came in this year, and I did or didn't apply fungicide to this field. This is the point where an Excel spreadsheet or a list of rankings of all the fields that I've got with the hybrid information and being able to put a hierarchy together of which fields are most susceptible. Because because if you've got a new disease this year that came in that you're not used to, or maybe you've got a hybrid that's a little bit more susceptible on some of your non-rotated acres, this is a place where building a harvest hierarchy can come into play really big. So we got, uh, within all these tools we have, we have something called the Vigor Index. Can you talk a little bit about the Vigor Index? And I guess I'll add my two cents, but can you talk a little bit about that and, and how you might incorporate this within to that pre-harvest plan? Yeah, so the Vigor Index is looking at that particular field or within that frame and how vigorous the growth is. So how much more green it's getting. And we give it a Vigor Index when it's at least one standard deviation ahead of the others that you're benchmarking against. So it's really an increasing line or a rate of change or you know how quickly it's changing. So if I had the field mapped and I knew the hybrid, I could go back in time and see the Vigor Index graph, right? And if I knew at V5, V8 back in time that I was trending down, I might say, hey, I'm a little bit more susceptible for some stock rots, some stock diseases, because I'd probably had an unhealthy plant at that time, even though my FMT or field monitoring might tell me I'm okay now, that might still be something that would trigger me to go, am I really okay? Let's go and check standability. So there's other tools we can go back in time and manage through this kind of disarrayed farm plan situation that we might be looking at to try to figure out how that harvest is going to come back into play. Yeah, and oftentimes that vigor index is, you know, overlaid with some other information like weather that allows you to see, well, did you know, how many heat units did I accumulate on here? What was the rainfall accumulation or what were the things that were contributing to yield at that time? And I think utilizing those tools, you know, it, just because you have a high vigor index doesn't make it the highest yielding. But if you have the lowest vigor index, it probably won't be one of your top yielding fields. And so going back and unpacking what were the management decisions that we could have changed might help us prepare for next year or the next time we come back into that field. So how much of my decision should I base on the, the actual hybrid itself as far as harvestability? Yeah, so certainly maturity plays a role in there. But when you look at, you know, I, I always think at the end of the season, whatever is standing that's what you've got an opportunity to harvest. And not all hybrids like to stand the same from year to year. I think there's times when we roll out a hybrid and it looks good for two or three years, and then there's a surprise year to it. There's one particular in recent memory that we had two or three years of really great planting conditions as we rolled it out. The third year we rolled it out and it had got planted in wet feet, which led to crown rot, which led to other stock diseases. And it was kind of a surprise. It was the plot winner for two years and then in the third year, it was towards the middle or the bottom of the plot because it had a standability challenge. So I, I think there's no silver billet hybrids. This is a place where you've really got to go through hybrid by hybrid and see what the year has given you. 
And so sometimes what I see with that on those hybrids, we might still have high yield, but maybe we have to take them at a little bit higher moisture. So we're capturing all that yield. It's not laying on the ground. And so that's what now brings those tools right up into the palm of your hand to say, make those decisions. Maybe it's a farm that's farther away. Maybe you're harvesting at a moisture that is a little wetter than you'd like, but at least it's still standing and going through the combine. And, and so it's a place to get started. And I think picking that first field to get started shouldn't be about, hey, this is the best field. This is the first corn that I knew I wanted to harvest, you should be harvesting your worst field first in a lot of cases, because that'll save you the heartburn of going back. Because you know, once you start on that, the rest of the harvest, the likelihood of you wanting to go back and pick that worst field, it's probably going to be last on your list because you're going to want to get everything else. So always assessing the situation and say, picking the worst field first might be the way that you could use these tools to, as effective as you can. Yeah, John, you know, another thing when it comes to harvest management is, you know, how many operating days do you need to take this crop out? I see everybody always does the neighbor benchmark, you know, well, they started today. That means I'll start 10 days from now. But really, some of these farms need 20 to 35 days of operating. Some maybe even need more than 35 days of operating to get a harvest out. And there's going to be a best day of harvest when it comes to shatter and kernel loss. Do you want to take your best day when the moisture's high, or do you want to take your best day when it's really cold outside? And I think shatter loss is one of those pieces that always comes up as, you know, when the grain gets below, you know, 13% moisture on soybeans or 15% moisture on corn, you're not only giving yield back to the elevator, you're also losing some of that to the ground. So what are some of the tips towards managing shatter loss in the field? So I think the number one thing is getting out there and getting started early. The number two thing is, is a point that I wanted to bring up is don't be afraid to switch back and forth from corn to beans. And I think that's where we really get in that predicament of geez, I mean, the corn got too dry on us or we got shadow loss or it's going through the deck plates or whatever it might be is Nobody feels like we want to just drag our feet until the beans have ripened and we can harvest our beans, and then we'll get started on corn. A lot of the times I see maybe we should be picking maybe close to half of the corn before we should really even get into the bean harvest. Go back and harvest the beans right when they're at the right moisture, and then we can make sure that we can get back into corn in a timely fashion. So you can get your worst fields of corn standability out of the way, hopefully nab the beans when they're at the right moisture, and then get back into corn and finish strong that way. Yeah, so in this year, we talked in earlier episodes about the delayed planting, and you know, it seemed to be that the price of corn kept up through planting season, and we've got some late yields. Now, potentially, if you've got a late field planted, and it didn't black layer, how would you manage a field that didn't quite get to black layer? And now we've got a frost. So key learnings there is a lot of times this goes maybe back in time a little bit. If you had had a VT fungicide on that, you probably would have been a little bit more tolerant to frost and a little quicker to finish, although maybe wetter, right? And we always say, hey, it takes a little time to dry down. The plant is more healthy, but we're a little more tolerant in frost. So that goes back a little bit in time. But let's say you didn't, and here's a situation you're dealing with is got to be critical as far as taking that crop through the combine and maybe set expectations, right? We're going to have some probably lower test weight. It's not going to dry down. Going through the dryer, it's not going to be that great of an experience, all those sorts of things. So because of that late planted field, finishing it to black layer is something difficult that you kind of have to learn as you go with that. And the harvestability, so combine settings is probably going to be one of the biggest factors to getting those kernels off that ear. 
So you talked about combine settings, and, and certainly, uh, you know, a lot of farmers have yield monitors in the combine, trying to utilize that data for other pieces in there. You calibrate a number of combines. Have you been in any of the combines that do the self-calibration at this point? No, have not. You know, I, I find mean, those really interesting. They're using technology. They've got some load cells in the grain tank, oh, yeah. and they're using auto calibration, and then they're using image recognition to see how much foreign material is in the grain, and they're auto calibrating the combine a couple times an hour versus, you know, me manually changing fan speed, rotors, and sieves. Got it. So, yeah, taking in those measurements, taking those into account, and then doing it real time. But I still think there's a little bit of a manual factor there to experience. I mean, and to experiment with what's best coming out. So those autos are very well set and very well into play, but you still got to, especially potentially with the crop that we could have as far as uh, not finishing early frost, those sorts of things, watch out for those combine settings. Because you brought up yield, we have this yield component. I mean, we talk about harvest tips, but in the end we're harvesting, right? And we're looking at this yield. So we have all these data points, right? In the end, you go back to the data points. And how are we using and how, what's the safety factor to, great, we got yield, now let's make decisions for 2020 and beyond. How do we use some of this data in combination with the rest of what we've talked about to make decisions for the future? So are you asking me what the deal with yield is? Yeah, what's the deal with yield? <laughs> so I think the deal with yield, when it comes to yield data in particular, I always find that farmers get really concerned about their data privacy and they want to know that it's going to a trusted source and that it's going to be secure. And, you know, security sometimes is their secondary thing, but really the primary thing is, am I sharing this with somebody that I trust? And the question they should ask themselves beyond that is, who is the person that I trust sharing it with? And do they have permission to do that? And this is where we're utilizing data silo to be able to bring in connections from field view drives through climate and through connections like John Deere, where we're bringing in yield data into the data silo. And with the farmer's permission, that seller is enabled to share that data with the sources that the farmers ask them to. Again, I find that farmers want their data privacy respected. They want to share it with trusted people and they want to be notified if that data is being shared outside of that initial trusted advisor, and they want to be in control of it. And so, you know, with the Winfield United Answer Tech Data Silo, our standards for data privacy are listed on eggdatatransparent.com, and they're written in really simple form questions of, do you utilize yield data? Yes or no? Do you aggregate the yield data and do you anonymize it? If your company is sold, does the new company that you sell it to have access to my data rights? And in the world of tech startups, that's a relevant question to be asking about where the data is going. So I find, you know, the trust in yield data, you know, certainly with R7, the yield data can come from the combine and into data silo, which is hosted on one of the many cloud servers that are out there. And what we're doing with that data in R7 is we're able to build a, a comparison map for satellite imagery, and we're able to ingest it that way and make some management comparisons that way. Other tools are out there utilizing it to do some calibration of crop models like field forecasting tool, and that allows us to get a better prediction for next year for the in-season management decisions that you may have just made this year. So those are all places where we're utilizing yield data. But the key piece is, is you know, it's got to be secure. It's got to be shared in a format that allows the grower to still be in control of it. So those data principles are really, really important for us to earn the right to be able to host farmers' data and to be able to provide them tools that let them see where their data is going. 
So Joel, you cited a website that farmers can go and look at that. Can you say that again, just so slow down and somebody can actually look it up and realize the legitimate nature of our conversation here with the legalities involved with the yield data sharing? Yep. So don't text and drive, right? Don't look as a pull over if you're driving. If you've got the auto steer on, the website is www.agdatatransparent.com. And that website uh, allows you to look at some other companies that are in there, and you can kind of see how the data standards differ. Some companies explicitly say, we have the right to aggregate and anonymize your data. The varying degrees are all over the place. The thing that I would remind you on things like Facebook is if you're not paying for the product, you might be the product. And, you know, there's some ag data transparent companies out there that have been very clear to say, you know, we're going to sell the data. I think Farm Mobile is one of those companies that has talked about being ag data transparent and saying, we're out here to sell the data. But we're out here to share that profitability back with the farmer. So I don't want to make this strong line between those who sell are bad. No, no, no. It's about being transparent with the information. I think they've done a great job of leading the industry and trying to find a secondary financial revenue for farmers to do that. So I think you mentioned trust in data a bunch of times. And when I hear you say trust and we talk about trust in the data, a lot of times from the grower perspective, I think the trust is just an underlying for, hey, I'll give you my data, but don't use it against me. Don't use it to pursue me on anything. And the trust part is, I'll give you the data, don't use it against me, but come back to me with something useful. Give me something out of it. And so I think that's where a lot of this lies. But as as we know, there's legalities within that. Yeah. And so, you know, this is a place where we built satellite imagery without necessarily utilizing yield data. Because when we started this whole digital journey, John, not everybody had a yield monitor. And so precision ag or decision ag was really reserved for farmers that had the most up-to-date combines or had retrofitted a yield monitor in there. And that, you know, that wasn't a place that fit the whole marketplace. I think we've come a long ways from there. And certainly when we utilize yield data now and the more advanced crop modeling data sets like field forecasting tool, there's places there where we just want to be upfront and honest about how that data is being used to help the farmer. And in certain cases where the data is being sold, like, uh, you know, maybe insurance, crop insurance companies want to validate local yields, that the farmers who are selling that data are aware of it. Now, at the same time, one of the things that's in here is your neighbor may be selling their data to the crop insurance company that helps the crop insurance company charge a different rate in your area. So you may not be selling your data or your data may not be getting there, but certainly they may be benchmarking how the fields in the area are doing. So you just go back to the ag data transparent rules about just tell me what's going on with it. I'm okay in certain situations with data moving one way. I just want to know. And I think that's the trusted relationship that the AnswerTech data silo really tries to enable that ag retailer to have with their farmer because you guys are doing a lot of stuff. You're the mechanic, you're the accountant, you're the banker, you know, and oh, by the way, you're supposed to be the agronomist and the family member and all. you got to be all those things. And this is a place where your ag retailer being able to help transact or move that data around efficiently is a big deal. And you got to do it with somebody you trust. Yep. So thinking about the egg retailer and what you can do to help them make decisions for the future with the data that you collect, a lot of times I think about, you know, what are some things that you can do in the combine? So we already had the pre-harvest plan, but what can you record in the combine to give a better picture for making plans? So I go back to some of our white mold spots in soybeans. So right now, I mean, we have a lot of devices we can drop pins. So I think 
trying to get a better map. Drop a pin when you see a severe patch of white mold. Try to mark it in and out of that so now we can go back and maybe write you a prescription. Or maybe you got sudden death in some areas or some brown stem rot. If you could start to pick out some of these diseases, you can enhance them on the yield map when you get that yield map. And now we can start to remember, so hey, let's not do that again. Or hey, we need to change the population here. Or, or maybe there's a nitrogen issue. We got to take care of that. I mean, a lot of those things, those are more pieces of information that we need to collect at harvest aside from that yield map. So when we are looking at the yield maps, we can actually have a conversation about how we can make that farm better or do something differently. I think of a particular disease like Goss's wilt that's come up in the past. And when it was new, I couldn't really identify it unless I was standing over top of the plant, really eyeballing it. But at some point, John, you become calibrated. And that's one of the important things is if you can calibrate towards what some of these disease spots look like, you've got a great opportunity for the combine operator as they're going along, like you said, to document some of those spots. And whether that means, you know, you're digitally dropping a pin on your favorite imagery app like R7 and documenting where that went from your mobile device or using Climate Field View Drives, the iPad app to mark a spot in there, that marking that spot, oh man, as an agronomist, that is pure gold for information to help make hybrid management decisions with that. So, you know, that's one of the places I'd go back and work with your retail advisor, your agronomist, and say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm going to be on the combine here this fall. What are the five things you want me to mark? So that way, when we get yes. to the farm planning season, we can have a, a more rich discussion about variety selection, field management, and the production of the crop. Because sometimes, you know, it's a little bit like the CSI investigator. You're standing over top of the computer looking at the red area on the yield map and going, well, how did that die? Or what was the cause of death on this thing? And you're trying to, you know, go through this multi-pest complex of things that it was. I think you can have a really rich discussion with your field advisor helping make next year's hybrid and variety selection. So it's not always, hey, maybe identifying that from the combine cab, but is there something different there? And then alert, hey, let's go check it out before that crop is gone. Could we dig roots? Could we look at the ear? All those sorts of things, bring it back into perspective of how we can make decisions for the future. Yeah, even right down to some of the tree borders that encroach on the field. You know, on that outside wing of the planter, your agronomist can knock those cells down a little bit yep. in the variable prescription. And, you know, rather than putting the medium to high population out there, you can save $4 per thousand seeds. You can save that seed cost in the areas where the fence line and the trees are going to be sucking the water and sunlight from. Well, so Joel, I heard in Wisconsin that you guys have A, B, C, and D zones. A zones are high yield, always high yield. B zones are could be A zones if we figure out how to manage them into A zones. C zones are kind of just, that's the way they're going to be. And then the D zone is the deer zone. Yeah, that's the deer zone. That's Deer's, the <laughs> edges of the fields, right? <laughs> so no sense feeding the deer a bunch, just lower the population. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure if we've tested scientifically if they just move another row in, I think they're still, they still get same hungry, but there's so many opportunities to take notes on what happened in the field to be able to have a conversation later in the year. So one more thing we got to mention here, I think is the combine cleanliness. Okay. So this is like brushing your teeth before you go to bed at night. I think maybe a lot of us forget about that. I guess you could tell what kind of person you are if you, if you smile at me, right? But do you brush your teeth before you go to bed at night? Do you make sure your combine's clean before you go to fields in different fields? I mean, I run into this a lot. And when we talk about weed resistance, when we talk about soybean cyst nematodes, when we talk about the spreading of weed 
weed patches throughout the farm, all these things come back to managing that combine and making sure that it's clean as it's going through the fields and the farms. Yeah, so my older brother went on a wheat run, and that was always part of their practice as they moved from farm to farm was they'd have a half day where they would basically blow the combines off to make sure that they weren't transferring these seeds and these, you know, these pests all around the country. So certainly combine management is a, is a key piece. You know, and some farmers are probably a little more comfortable with it if they've had a uh, an identity preserved crop before. Some of the enogen, they're asking you to do enogen uh, corn, which of course has uh, high alpha amylase in it for ethanol plants mm-hmm. specifically. They ask you to segregate that crop a little bit. So I think there's some farmers that have some good practices out there, but I think cleaning off that equipment before it goes from field to field. You know, should I be concerned, uh, same thing for tillage equipment and the movement of soybean cyst nematode? So I even think uh, this might be a little extreme, but even if we have a wet spring and we have some muddy soil and it's sticking to our combine tires, all those sorts of things, if you don't go out of the field drive fast enough to knock it all off and you're carrying it to the next field, there's very good likelihood that you're carrying some soybean cyst nematode. Same thing with the tillage equipment. Um, and that can be transferred pretty readily from one place to the other. And it's very hard to track after that. You don't know where it came from or what it did. Most critically, though, as I think, is the weed seed, especially if you know you have resistant fields. Say, that, hey, this is one field. We have giant ragweed and re- resistant to everything, and I can't kill it. Make sure that that stays put. Make sure that the patch isn't spread any farther because that's going to help you manage those rest of your fields. So if you do have those types of areas, taking time to stop and clean out is probably to your utmost favor than just trying to get, get more acres done at the end of the day. You've been listening to the Deal With Yield podcast. If you enjoy the show, please rate us and review us online or on your podcast app. And for more episodes, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and thedealwithyield.com. 